Today I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, and we're going to actually look at one of the most famous miracles of Jesus. All right, there is one miracle that all four writers of the Gospels mention, and that is this miracle that we're going to be looking at. It's usually talked about as the feeding of the 5,000. And you know the amazing thing about this, um, this miracle is that Jesus doesn't stand before the crowd and say, let me tell you what I'm going to do and give some big fanfare. No, it is probably an invisible miracle to most of the five to 10,000 people that were on that mountainside, okay? Because what Jesus did was, he told his disciples, you give them something to eat, and they said, well, we can't, and well, what do you, we don't have enough food. He said, well, what do you have? And they said, we have five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus says, that'll do. Sit them down in groups of 50 and 100. And then Jesus raises up the loaves and the fish and he prays and blesses this meager lunch. Now, when I'm thinking loaves, I'm not thinking loaves that you buy at the grocery store. I think more like when I grew up in the Philippines, we had this thing called pan de sal. It was you ate it in the morning. It was a little tiny dinner roll. That's what it looked like. They had five loaves and two fishes. He raises up these five loaves and two fishes and he prays and blesses them and then he breaks them in hands pieces of the five loaves and two fishes to all 12 of the disciples and he says, go feed them. I'm thinking that, now I wasn't there, but I'm thinking that as they began to feed the 50 in their group, they would break apart the bread and hand it down the row and, and as they broke it apart, what they noticed was they, their bread never got diminished. And as they took pieces of fish and gave it to all the people, it, they noticed that I, somehow I still have fish. I've just given food to 50 people. I'm going to the group of 100. And they do the same thing. They break off the bread. They pass it down the row. They bake off the fish. They pass it down the row. And what was in their hand never got diminished. And what, why, why I'm telling you that is because I really think that most of the people that ate lunch that day because of this grand miracle done by Jesus didn't even realize a miracle was happening. I think it was probably after they, they all came back together. The disciples noticed. But even they, almost invisibly, in the most ordinary sort of a way, passed out food so that everybody would have something to eat. I think the primary focus of Mark as he tells this story, because each uh, gospel writer gives, gives different details. Mark doesn't give a lot of details. I think that the, the primary point of, of Mark was that when Jesus saw the hungry crowd, he was moved with compassion. And he said, they are like sheep without a shepherd. During his days as president, Thomas Jefferson and a group of companions were traveling across country on horseback, 
And they came upon a flooded river that had washed away the bridge. Each rider was forced to ford the river on horseback, fighting against the deadly currents. One traveler, not a part of the group, was watching from a distance. After seeing several people cross the river safely, the stranger wandered up to the president, tapped on his boot, and said, can I have a ride across the river? President Jefferson agreed with hesitation, and the man climbed onto Jefferson's horse, and the two of them made it safely to the other side. As the stranger slid off the back of the horse to dry ground, a man in the group looked at him with incredulity and said, why on earth would you ask the President of the United States for a ride across the river? Why didn't you ask one of us? And the man was shocked and said, I had no idea he was the President of the United States. All I knew is that written upon your faces was the word no, but written upon his face was the word yes. I needed a yes face, and that's why I asked him. You know what, that's exactly what's going on between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus looked at the crowd and he had compassion on them. Now the plan of the day was for Jesus and his disciples to get on a boat and travel across the the lake to a deserted place so that they could have a group meeting of the 13 of them and share what all has been going on. They had stories to tell, questions to ask. They longed to be with Jesus, but the crowd was everywhere, everywhere they went. And so Jesus, okay, come with me. We're gonna get on, get on this boat. We're gonna travel across, across the lake. We're gonna get away from the crowd. And w- when we get over there, we can, we can have the time together that we all want. We need to unplug. We need to refresh ourselves We need to recharge ourselves by being with each other and talking to each other. But people were so intent on being with Jesus that they carefully watched him. And I don't know how this all happened, but someone speculated correctly where Jesus was likely to go. And they began to to run around the lake, not with a boat, they ran around the lake and they, they went to where Jesus, they thought, was gonna land. And, and they were correct. And, and everybody all the way around, as these, disciples, uh, these people are running, very excitedly, they, people surely were saying, so what are you doing? What's, what's going on? I mean, you know, people run and you wanna find out what's going on, right? You should. They said, well, we're gonna go see Jesus. I, I know that he's headed to this spot and we wanna go there and, and see him. When, when he gets there, and so, so it appears that the crowd kept growing and growing. Well, I want to go too. And by the time Jesus landed, <coughs> excuse me, there was a big crowd. Let's read it from the Mark chapter 6. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, <coughs> both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. That was the agenda. Come on, guys, let's go, get, let's go take a rest. 
For there were many coming and going, and they did not have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him, and Jesus, when he went out, saw a great multitude and, and moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was not far spent, now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. And already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? This was kind of like, we need to reflect to Jesus what he's really asking. 200 denarii was about eight months' salary. We're, we're gonna, seriously, Jesus, we're, we're gonna go buy that much bread? Uh, and I'm sure they're thinking, and do we really have time to leave this deserted place, go to the villages and the cities around, find enough supply of bread for 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe 15,000 people. And then, by the way, <clears throat> how do 12 men carry that much bread to bring back that quantity of food to feed 10 to 15,000 people? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, but they're hanging with Jesus. I mean, Jesus, let, let me reframe your, your command. So do you want us to go and buy bread with money we don't have that would cost for one meal for a crowd at least eight months of a man's salary? And he said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fishes. We are so inclined to talk about what we don't have and what we can't do that we miss the miracle of what God can do with the little we have in our hand. And he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples and set before, to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all and so they all ate and were filled. Okay, they were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. One of the most incredibly big miracles done in the most ob obscure and unnoticed fashion. The key... I think that, that Mark is pointing out here is that in the middle of this big crowd that was hungry, 
It was Jesus who was moved with compassion. Jesus described them as sheep without a shepherd. Do you know something? You and I were not created to be self-sufficient or independent. Now, I know that goes against the American way. I need to be responsible for myself and do what I can do, and, and I think it's a great way. I really do. I think that has led us to great success and productivity and much good. But when we begin to think that really life is all on our shoulders and we're the ones that have to make everything happen, that burden is more than you and I can bear because we were created to need to depend on God as our shepherd. God comes alongside and he helps us. God comes alongside and he blesses the work of our hand. God comes alongside and he's our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in time of need. That's the way we were made. And when it says that Jesus was moved with compassion, compassion is something you feel in the depths of your soul that moves you into action. Now, pity is similar, but Pity is just feeling really sad in the depths of your soul, but no action. There's a big difference between pity and compassion. And what Jesus had here was he had compassion. This was a hungry crowd. Oh, what are we gonna do? Look how desperate they are to listen and to learn and to be with me. And, and now they're, you're saying they're hungry? Well, the, the compassionate heart of Jesus says, well, then let's do something about it. The, you know, the heart of the disciples might have been a little bit pity. They're hungry. So sorry. Big difference. Jesus and his disciples did not get their hoped-for retreat from the crowd. They wanted to unplug from the crowd. They wanted to stop their ministry so they could be together and recharge, which is so important, and everyone needs that from time to time. But in this particular case, Jesus sees all of the 5,000 men, plus those who accompanied them, and he realizes that they are, like a, they are like sheep who are lost. I mean, they are literally lost. They don't know what to do to solve the issues of their life. They live with fear, and they, they are vulnerable and helpless, and they they're longing for some help, and I'm here to help them. You know, sheep without a shepherd are like a bus full of kids without a driver. It's like a football team without a quarterback. It's like a third grade classroom without a teacher. Seeing sheep without a shepherd would be a distressing thing. It's like seeing villages without clean water and AIDS orphans without parents and a hospital without medicine and teenagers without role models and support and direction. Jesus was so moved by the crowd that his response was very much unlike the response of the disciples, which is the second point. Number point two is this, Jesus said, he, moved, he was moved with compassion. The disciples saw a problem and said, send them away. I mean, these men were tired. 
They had been busy for days serving. They looked at the need and could not see any potential of meeting that need. And their solution was to send them away. Now the disciples were not against the people. They just didn't know that they could help. Third thing, Jesus says, well, here's what we're going to do. You give them something to eat. And that's when they had to reflect back to Jesus. Jesus, what you're asking for is, respectfully, quite absurd. You know how much money we have? We don't have 200 denarii. We don't have pickup trucks or, or cars to go and get and haul all of the food that's needed to feed the logistics involved in feeding 10,000 people. Anybody here want to try that? Now, some of you ladies amaze me because we'll have 300 people show up for an event and, and you in stride can feed them all. That would freak me out. I don't know how to do that, but there are some of you who know exactly what to do and how to do it. And, and the disciples were just like, oh, we, yeah, we just don't know what to do. And then Jesus takes what they do have. He blesses it and he breaks it. And he provides for them. Now these people that needed help were not starving. I want you to notice that. You, you sometimes you think, oh, they're starving. No, no, no. They, they were ordinary peasants by and large, but they had homes, and they could eventually find food. They just didn't have any food with them. And what does Jesus want to do? He just wants to bless them. I don't think he was necessarily saving them from starvation. His heart of compassion moved him to kindness and generosity. Jesus was the good shepherd that we need. Jesus is described in Psalm 23 as, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. I mean, there is no doubt that food is central to our very existence. So important. I remember talking to a student who used to attend here from Nepal, and he told me that um, the most common greeting in his country is, have you eaten rice? That was the common greeting. Why? Because... You gotta eat rice. You gotta have your bread. You gotta eat. You know, there are 300, more, there's about 300 references to, to bread in the Bible, and they actually can tell you the story of the Bible. For instance, Adam and Eve are being expelled from the Garden of Eden, and God says from that point on, by the sweat of their brow, they will eat bread. But they will eat bread because his mercy follows them. Now they are gonna need to sweat, and by the sweat, so what does that mean? I'm gonna help you out, it's gonna take more effort than you had to ex expend before the fall, but they will eat bread by the sweat of their brow. Esau, Esau, one of the sons of um, Isaac, was very short-sighted. He sells his birthright for a bowl of porridge and a loaf of bread. 
the Israelites are in the land of Canaan and a famine comes and they leave Canaan and they go to Egypt to look for, what did they look for? They were looking for bread. And then they were there for 400 years when Moses leads them out of Egypt and they leave in a hurry and they don't have time for the yeast to work to the bread and so they just bring unleavened bread and that's what they got by on. And then they got into the wilderness and they ran out of bread and God tells um, uh, Moses, uh, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna provide bread. It's gonna appear every morning. It's gonna, it, it, it's gonna be called, you're gonna call, they end up calling it manna, like the, really which is what is this? But it was their bread and he fed them every day in the desert. And in fact, when Jesus provides bread for the crowd, he is fulfilling the prophecy that a prophet like Moses will come to shepherd his people, Israel. In the time when Jesus was baptized, he was then led out into the, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days, the devil comes with his first temptation and he says, Jesus, I know you're hungry. You, you, you haven't eaten for 40 days. Honestly, I don't know what that's like. I've never let my fast go for 40 days. I would guess he was pretty hungry. I, I, you know, if I don't eat all day, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm hangry. Have you ever heard that term? The devil says, Jesus, you turn, turn, you turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, I will not do it. And then he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I will only do the will of God. I will stay hungry. Our passage today is Jesus preaching to 5,000 people and the disciples tell them they're hungry. They need, they need to leave. Let's send them away. I mean, they need to go eat. Well, what do you have? We have a five loaves and a couple of fish. That's not enough. Jesus says, give it to me. And I care about these people. And this isn't going to be a big deal miracle because they probably won't even notice how big it was until years later. But what they did notice was everybody got lunch that day. Why? Because God is a God of great compassion. What do you think God feels toward you today? What are your needs? What are your fears? What are your concerns? How does God feel toward us? I know. Because God came, and his name was Jesus, and he wasn't annoyed or put off by a crowd in need. He moved toward them with great compassion.
He will move towards you with compassion today. Jesus was the good shepherd. In John 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. A hireling, but a hireling, he, he, uh, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And the hireling says, too bad, not my sheep. The hireling flees uh, because he doesn't care about the sheep. I mean, that's the difference. The absence of compassion and commitment. The hireling doesn't care about the sheep. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. And as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. That's us. Them also I will bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus was the good shepherd. Jesus moves with compassion. They could have survived without lunch that day. Jesus just says, but I just want to feed them. Jesus looks at you today and says, man, I know you could survive with some of the, without some of the things you're asking for, but I just want to help you. I recently read about uh, a hospital, a teaching hospital that found that one of its young residents had a marvelous effect on the children he cared for they responded to him with delight. They would do things for him and even be willing to do the difficult things related to the treatment for him that they wouldn't do for any of the other staff. And one nurse was actually assigned with the task to discover what is the secret to this man's success. And she followed him around and studied what he was doing and then one night she discovered here was the simple thing he did. Every night on his last round, he would kiss and hug and tuck in every one of the children. It was in that act of compassion that he made his connection with the children. He wasn't just doing a job as their nurse or doctor. He was helping them. It's in the heart of compassion that things really change. There's this age-old statement I've heard many times, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Jesus cared deeply. He not only, he not only taught the crowd, but he was teaching his disciples that they needed to be more compassionate toward this crowd. No one else is coming for them. No one else is going to help them. But it's this great God of heaven who took on our sins, was wounded for our transgressions. Why? Because he sees us as sheep and he has compassion to help us. 
most of the time, people in our world, um, you know, are, we're focused on getting stuff. Even my son James, he has all of these great plans. I told you before that one of his plans is he's going to buy my house. I said, well, you don't need to buy my ha- our house. I already have this house. We, we all live here already. No, 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 I buy it, Dad. Well, what am I going to do? Oh, uh, you go condo, Cooper Estates. That's what he's always telling me. And I always tell him, James, I do not want to live in a tiny little condo somewhere. No, 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 big mansion condo is what he says. So James, let me get this. What you want is you, you want to live in this house without your parents so you can be in charge. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's James. He said, Dad, you... You, you, buy, you buy what you want. You're a billionaire. I says, oh, yeah, right. I'm a billionaire. No. <clears throat> I did read the story of a billionaire. Um, this was the guy that created the best-selling video game so far in history. Um, it's called Minecraft. Anyone ever heard of that? I love it. Yes, Wes and Betty know about Minecraft. I love it. Well, Marcus Pearson became a billionaire when in 2014 he sold Minecraft to Microsoft that paid $2.5 billion for this game. Well, Marcus Pearson, the creator of Minecraft, walked away with $1.3 billion. He promptly outbid Beyonce and Jay-Z for a Beverly Hills mega mansion with a $70 million price tag. It, it is described as a mansion that has overwhelming, overwhelming sensory experience. As the listing read, outfitted with insane amenities like M&M Towers. Anybody would like that? Okay, there's a vodka and tequila bar, a movie theater, a 15, 15 bathrooms, each equipped, we're told, with toilets that cost $5,600 each. But on August 29, 2015, Pearson posted a series of tweets that captured his gnawing sense of unhappiness and dissatisfaction. At 4.48 in the morning, he texted this, or he, he, he tweeted this, the problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying, and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. 440, 4.50, same, same morning. Hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. 4.52, when we sold the company, the biggest effort went into making sure the employees got taken care of, and now they all hate me. 4.53, 
found a great girl, but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle and went with a normal person instead. You know, this is reported in, uh, I think it was Forbes magazine. And he just proves what Jesus said. It's really not about the food or the money. It's about the relationship. If you and I can be content with the good shepherd who promises to give us our daily bread, we will always be okay. If you and I are going to rely on whatever money we can pull together and put in the bank and we will always be insecure. I have a confession to make. I waste a lot of bananas. I love bananas. And I always go to the store and I buy, I gotta buy my yellow bananas because I don't want no green bananas. I buy two of those and then I buy a bunch that are like yellow with green in the, you know what I'm saying? And I think I'm a great banana buyer, but honestly, I end up throwing a bunch of bananas away because I actually can't eat all the bananas I buy because they get spoiled. And it's kind of like a reminder to me. I need Jesus to supply for me every day what I need today. You really can't stockpile food because it perishes. And he says, hey, don't worry. I got you. The best food is the fresh food. Now, you can eat, as someone told me, he found a McDonald's hamburger in the back of his van one day when he was cleaning out the van and it had been there for more than a year. And he said, the amazing thing was I unwrapped it and it looked like it was still edible. So what in the world is in that hamburger? And in this particular passage, I really think what Jesus is trying to say is that he moves toward us with compassion. And the disciples needed a lesson in compassion. Here's a challenge. If you can help someone this week, maybe you can't solve all their problem. Have you got five loaves and two fish you could pass their way? How many hearts have been opened and transformed and come to Christ because someone jolted them with an act of undeserved kindness. Is there someone you need to forgive? How many people would be transformed if we would forgive the people that don't deserve to be forgiven? 
And we just say, I forgive you because I've been forgiven so much. You're kidding me. It's okay. You're, you're, hey, it hurt, but hey, forgiven. What a rich, invisible miracle that gets reported years later, and now we discover it was one of the most powerful things Jesus ever did. Would you bow your heads, please?